Okay, if you would this morning, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4, as we continue on in our study of the book of 1 Peter, coming to its final chapter. Now, I shared with you last Sunday morning that in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, that is the summit of the book of 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a group of people, writing to a group of people who are facing fiery trials, who are suffering, who are being persecuted, far worse cultural environment than than what we're facing. And, And he instructs them to live for Christ and to trust Christ. And really, when we come to chapter 5, it's kind of some closing comments that we'll be looking at for like the next three or four weeks. And in those closing comments, he starts by addressing church leaders. So I want you to think of that he's addressing church leaders in this environment where people are suffering for Christ. And in those first four verses, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, our first point this morning is elders and the church. One of the greatest needs in any New Testament local church is godly elders who believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of God and who refuse to compromise any of its teachings. If we are to have any influence at all, Folks, any influence at all in this culture, we must be led in believing without apology that the Bible is the word of God from beginning to end. If we are to have any influence in an increasingly hostile and secular culture, all of us, every single one of us, must have that unwavering confidence in the Bible. And it must start with the leaders of any church. Our goal is to raise up men and women, husband and wives, moms and dads, teenagers and young people, down to the smallest children who believe the Bible. We want to raise up people who believe that this is the word of God. I want you to think with me this morning. Every one of the controversial social issues that our culture faces today ultimately comes down to the authority of Scripture. It does. Whether it is the legalization of same-sex marriage, whether it is the confusion over gender identity, whether it is the whole spectrum of the the abortion issue, it all comes down to how do we determine what is right and what is wrong. I mean, that's what Al Mohler was addressing this morning. How do we decide what is right and what is wrong? There are thousands, if not millions of people out in our culture today who just don't get it with us. Why aren't you changing with the political correctness 
culture? Why aren't you going along? Why aren't you adjusting with the changes in the world? For example, let's just take same-sex marriage. The Bible clearly defines marriage as a lifelong union between a man and a woman. That is the only definition that the Bible has for marriage. That will always be our definition as long as as long as we believe the word of God. I want to make an important statement for you, one that I want you to chew on, think about for many days and years to come. If you don't believe the Bible, you will believe anything. I just want you to think about that with me this morning. If you don't believe the Bible, you will believe anything. You will be susceptible to believing anything. If you have no absolute, no standard by which to measure right and wrong, then right and wrong will constantly change before your eyes. Elders are the shepherds of God's flock who have been called by God to feed his sheep, lead his sheep, and protect his sheep. If you remember nothing else this morning, that's what I want you to remember. Elders have been called by God to shepherd the sheep of God. They are to feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. Now, I want to say something right at the beginning here this morning. The whole subject of what we would call biblical eldership is a vast subject. I have in my library numerous books written on the subject of biblical eldership. So not only entire books, but multiple books have been written on this subject. There is no way I could cover all of that this morning, and that is not my goal this morning. There are many things we could look at. For example, in our church, we have vocational elders, those whose job is to be an elder. We have non-vocational elders. We could look at that whole subject. We could look at the difference between the office of elder and the office of deacon. We could look at... What is the role of an elder in a congregation like ours where we have, according to our Constitution, congregational rule? The congregation makes the final decisions in big things that we decide on. What's the role of an elder when you have congregational rule? Those are all important subjects, but we don't have time to look at them. It would take a whole sermon series. What I want to do is stick with the text and the context. Okay, I want to look at what Peter is saying to elders in light of a culture in which his readers are living where they are suffering for Christ, where they are being persecuted for Christ. What is the role of the elder in an environment like that? Well, let's do a, just, a, just a little bit of history here. The word elder literally means one who is older. So if you think it means older, it does mean older. Um, the word elder has its origins in the Old Testament. In the nation of Israel, certain men were selected on the basis of their maturity and wisdom to provide guidance for the people of God. Then came what are known as the 400 silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament where there is no new revelation from God. During those 400 silent years, the Jewish people were scattered not only outside of Jerusalem, but outside of the nation of Israel. They were scattered all over the world. And during the time, or during that, those 400 silent years, 
the Jewish people developed what is called the synagogue system. They began, they were far away now from the temple in Jerusalem, so in order to meet, they met in these local gatherings called synagogues. And the men who led the synagogues were called, in conjunction with the Old Testament, they were called elders. And when Jesus comes along in the first century, in his ministry and teaching, the synagogue system is fully blown and it plays a major role in his teaching ministry. So I tell you all of that because when the early church began to organize itself, the leaders of the infant church were called elders. Now we don't know precisely where the name elder first started as far as the church goes. It just pops up out of nowhere in Acts chapter 11 without any explanation of the office. In Acts chapter 11, there was a famine in Judea. And so some of the new churches that were being established by Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul took up a collection for the church in Judea to help them in this time of famine. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 30, it says, And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So it just kind of comes out of nowhere. The leaders of the church in Judea, in Jerusalem, were called elders. They're the ones who received the offering. In Acts chapter 14, we learn that Barnabas and Paul had gone around teaching and establishing churches in all these different cities. And then they went back, and in each of these churches, they established elders. Acts 14, 23 And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they established elders in every church. In Acts 20, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to care for the church of God. If you want a fascinating study on the heart of an elder, or what the heart of an elder should be, look at Acts chapter 20. The specific qualifications for elders are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Now in the New Testament, this office is referred to by three different names that are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Sometimes these leaders are called elders. Sometimes they are called bishop or overseer. And sometimes they are called pastor. So literally a person in my position could technically be called a pastor. He could be called an elder. He could also be called an overseer. And the Christian church has universally around the world recognized the need for godly men to lead the church. So, whether it's in Southeast Asia or South America or whatever part of the world it may be, the church needs to have godly men to lead it. Now, we believe as a church, in accordance with our understanding of the teaching of the New Testament, that the offices of elder and deacon are reserved for men. Ladies, you play a very important, critical role in the church. However, in God's wisdom, as God has ordained, these two particular offices are reserved for men. And for the churches, 
or for the church to flourish over a long period of time and in order to withstand the pressures of a secular culture, the church needs to have a continual supply of godly men to lead it. And one of the prayers for any church, I don't care whether it's in St. John's, Michigan, or Beijing, China, the church should always be praying for God to raise up godly men to lead the church who will stand firm and unwaveringly on the word of God. Who knows? Right now, God is leading up leaders for the future and we should be praying for them 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. It may be there are some young men seated here this morning that God is powerfully at work in their lives and God is going to use them to be the future leaders of this church. We may have some young boys in junior high or high school and God is at work in their lives raising them up to be the future leaders of this church. It could be that we will have men move into St. John's who are godly men who are going to join our fellowship and they are going to be used by God to lead in the future. Who knows, there could be some unsaved men out there who are going to get saved and grow amazingly in the Lord and God is going to raise them up to use them in, uh, in our midst to be godly leaders. Well, our second point this morning is how to shepherd the flock of God. That's the heart and soul of this passage. Peter writes to his fellow elders exhorting them to tenderly love and lead the flock of God. In verse 1, in the first part of verse 2, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. O leaders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a pastor. I'm an overseer. I'm an elder. He says, I'm one of you, and I exhort you as one of you. And I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter saw firsthand. He saw Jesus vehemently and sometimes even violently opposed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. He saw Jesus mocked and whipped. He saw Jesus suffer on the cross. Peter saw what it was to see a righteous man suffer for the cause of, of the kingdom of God. He saw what it was like to see a righteous, holy man suffer. And he says, I'm also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that one of the hallmark traits of any true Bible-believing church is that we're always looking for the return of Christ. We're always living in light of the return of Christ. We're waiting for Jesus to return. And so what Peter is saying, he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a first-hand witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I'm like you. I'm waiting with great anticipation and expectation. I'm waiting for the return of Christ. And he said, in light of all that, I want you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Remember what I want you to remember. To shepherd the flock of God primarily means to feed the sheep, to lead the sheep, and to protect the sheep. That's primarily what it means. I was reading this week. You've probably read things like this before. 
that sheep are a particular variation of livestock that require endless attention and constant care. Sheep are one of the only animals that if they wander at all away from the flock, they don't know how to get back on their own. The shepherd has to help them get back. Sheep, when they eat foliage in a pasture, will not only eat the good foliage, but they will eat the poison foliage. And so the pastor has to constantly, excuse me, the shepherd has to constantly be watching what the sheep are eating. And I was reading that sheep are, will, when they, they eat in a pasture, will literally eat it down to the dirt. They will ruin their own pasture, so the, 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 the shepherd has to keep moving them from one pasture to another. And it also said that sheep of all the animals are one of the most vulnerable to attack by predators. Folks, we are the sheep of God. We are redeemed. We belong to Jesus Christ. God is our Father. The Holy Spirit lives within us, but we are sinful and weak. And we need God himself to shepherd us, and we need godly, humble, broken shepherds to lead us as the people of God. We are valuable, but we are also vulnerable. Well, Peter tells us specifically what it means to shepherd the flock of God. First, Peter addresses the elders' attitude toward his work. In the middle of verse 2, it says, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Exercising oversight. Elders are often referred to, as I mentioned before, as overseers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 in the qualifications of an elder, it says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, notice this, to the office of overseer, he desires or he desires a noble task. Overseer literally means to gaze upon something. It means to get the big picture or a broad view of the church. God has entrusted the entire church to the care of of the elder. In essence, he gazes out over the whole congregation. And this is important because the responsibility of an elder, of a pastor, is to do what's best for the whole congregation. To look at the flock as a whole and say, what is best for everybody? One of the things that I've read continually and continue to stress to our own leaders. You, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you cannot have a personal private agenda that you are pushing. That is not your job. It is not to say, this is what I think should be happening in the church, so that's what I'm going to push. No, a leader says, what's best? What's best for the whole congregation? Let me give you three examples real quick. First of all, there are different preferences among us. We have an older generation. We have a younger Generation, We have different preferences in music. We're looking for a pastor of music, a pastor of worship. And we want that person to be first and foremost a pastor. 
an elder who is gentle and tender with people of different musical preferences. We have different preferences on how we should educate our children. There are different preferences, preferences on which version of the Bible that we like or would like to use. And all of those things are okay, but an elder needs to look out and say, what's best for everybody? Knowing these things, what's best for everybody? A second example. In any congregation like ours, we have people at different places in their spiritual journey. We have people in our congregation right here who have been to Bible college and seminary. And we have people in our congregation who are brand new believers in the Lord. And everywhere in between. I love, you know one of the things I love the most? I love working with new believers. They're so excited in their faith. And you know what they challenge me on? I will use terms and concepts, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. I've never heard that word before. Words we use all the time. And they'll say, define that for me. What do you mean when you say that? And I'm reminded, oh my, I've got to be careful. What I say, not everybody understands that term. Sometimes I've got to explain that term, define that term. And we need to know there are a lot of people here who are at different places in their spiritual journey A third example would be there are people in any congregation like ours who are going through different life experiences. There are some people right now among us who are being blessed. They're they're having their socks blessed off. And there are other people who are suffering right here, maybe in the same section, maybe in the same row. You've got somebody who's being blessed in his job and another person in that same row who just lost his job. Someone struggling financially, someone struggling with their marriage. In the same row, you've got somebody whose young adult child is doing really well walking with the Lord. Somebody in that same row, their adult child has wandered far away from the Lord and has broken their heart. And you know what? We all meet together. And the elder has to say, I'm looking at everybody. I'm looking at the fact there are all kinds of diff- excuse me, different life experiences. So, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. I love that. An elder willingly leads because God has placed a fire and desire in his heart to gently and tenderly lead the people of God. He doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because it's the fire within his soul. He wants to do it. Second, Peter addresses the elder's attitude toward money. The end of verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. There is a proper place, as many of you may know, for a vocational elder, whose full-time job is to be an elder, to be compensated appropriately. The Bible speaks about that. For example, in Luke 10, Jesus says about ministry workers that the worker is worthy of his wages. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy those who lead the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who whose job is preaching and teaching. However, 
An elder must never carry out his responsibilities for shameful gain. Money must never, ever, ever, ever be his number one priority. Now, we know there are obvious examples out there. We see the pastor in the television ministry who's always asking for money, always asking for money, and then we find out he lives in this grand mansion, drives a Mercedes, and has a private jet. And, and we find that, don't we? We find that repulsive. We say, something's not right there. That's an extreme example. But what every pastor, every elder has to be careful of is that they don't see their responsibilities as just a job. It's a good way to earn a living. It's probably better than bitches, so I'll, I'll be a pastor. You know, you can, you can earn a, a pretty good living. That must never, ever be your attitude. Here is, I believe, what the Bible teaches. Let the church pay their pastors in a fair, and honest way that allows them to take care of their families and then let them eagerly serve the Lord. And you know what? This church is a shining example of this. I have mentioned this before. This church goes to the top of the list. You have taken really good care of us so that we don't have to worry about those things and we can eagerly serve the Lord. And I believe that's what Peter means here. Well, third, Peter addresses the elders' attitude toward people. Verse 3, very important verse here. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. A domineering Authoritarian leadership style has been a constant problem for pastors throughout church history. It is a constant problem that requires constant accountability. Now, there again are some extreme examples. There may be the ultra-legalistic church that sometimes is run by one man. The head pastor runs everything and he tells everybody what to do and you never question him. Or we may have at the other extreme in, in, in the fringe of Pentecostalism, sometimes there are pastors who say, well, God told me. Don't you dare question me. God told me what to do. But those are extreme examples. They're out there. But I believe every pastor, even in churches like ours, has to fight off the temptation to say, I'm the leader and we're going to do it my way. Talk about a relevant example. Two weeks ago, Darren Patrick, the lead pastor at the Journey Megachurch in St. Louis, Missouri, a very gifted teacher, Bible conference speaker, and even though it's a large church, it is a church whose beliefs are almost identical to ours. He is also the vice president of the Acts 29 um, church planting network. Two weeks ago, his church fired him. And here's the reasons why, according to Christianity Today magazine online. His offenses were domineering over those in his charge, misuse of power and authority, and a history of building his identity through his ministry and media platforms. In other words, it was becoming all about him. 
He was fired from his church. Matt Chandler, some of you may be familiar with him, is the president of Acts 29, the church planning network, had to release Darren Patrick from his responsibilities for the same reasons. 45 years old. He is on the council of the Gospel Coalition. He is also the chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. Two years ago, some of you may know this story, Mark Driscoll, lead pastor of one of the largest churches in America, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. At the time, they had seven campuses, seven different campuses, was fired by his church for arrogance and domineering leadership. Let me tell you how subtle this is. Two years ago, before Matt Chandler became the president of Acts 29, Mark Driscoll was the president of Acts 29. Darren Patrick was one of the men who confronted him and removed him from leadership. Two years later, the same thing happens to him. Folks, this is a very, very important issue. Next week, this week we're looking at the leader's attitude towards the people. Next week we're going to look at the people's attitude towards leaders. That's next Sunday morning. And let me tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on this more next week. Dominant, arrogant church members ruin churches. Domi dominant, arrogant church members ruin churches just like dominant, arrogant leaders do. Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's what we ought to do, folks. Every church leader must speak the truth, but that truth must be accompanied by a life that exemplifies the truth. In other words, speak the truth, but lead by example. Isn't that a great thought from the Bible? Speak the truth, but lead by example. Parents, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers, Elders, deacons, speak the truth, but lead, lead by example. They're going to remember your example even more than they will remember your words. What does it mean? Paul tells Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, I want you to be an example to the flock in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want you to be an example to the flock. Well, our third and final point this morning, and it's a short one. Verse 4 is the most important verse in this passage because it reminds us that the chief shepherd of the church is Jesus Christ himself. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's what he says to all the elders and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's something very simple. If every person in this church constantly looks to, loves, cherishes, and follows the chief shepherd, it will keep us from all kinds of problems. It will. And know this, and this is important for all of you to know, every elder, every pastor is an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. Okay, I want everyone to know that. 
Here's a little tip for you. When you're out in the communities that surround this church and anyone says to you, who is the head of First Baptist Church in St. John's, you tell them Jesus Christ. Okay? If they ask you, who is the head of this church, you tell them Jesus Christ. It's not Pastor Tim. It's not Pastor Chad and it's not Pastor Ron. It's not the non-vocational elders. It's not the deacons. It is Jesus Christ himself. Sometimes one of our church secretaries, Holly, will bring me a legal document. You know, any organization or ministry have to sign these legal documents. And it will say at the bottom, who is the head of the organization? Who is the head of the ministry? And it'll put signature, title, and date. And there's this part of me (laughs) that just wants to fill in Jesus Christ, chief, chief shepherd, and the date, and send it in and see what they say. (laughs) I'm sure they wouldn't find it nearly as humorous as I do. (laughs) I know why they want my name on that document. I know why. Because if anything goes wrong in the church, they want to know whose name should be on the head of the lawsuit. (laughs) That'll be my name. (laughs) So I always sign those things with a little fear and trembling. It's interesting, only one time in the New Testament is the term chief shepherd used, and it's right here. It's right here. Now, in other places, Jesus is called the overseer and shepherd of our souls. He, of course, is called the good shepherd. He is called the great shepherd of the sheep, but only here, only here in 1 Peter chapter 5, is he called the chief shepherd. And folks, the chief shepherd is coming back. The chief shepherd is coming back. And Peter says to those of you who are leading, when he comes back, you elders, if you've served well, big if, if you've served well, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You will receive eternal reward. Let's go back to where I began this morning and the video we saw. We are called to be the church in a in an increasingly secular, even hostile culture. But I want you to be encouraged with me this morning. No matter what happens in our culture, the church will continue on because it is the creation of God himself. It has Jesus Christ as its head, the Holy Spirit as its power, and a worldwide fellowship of believers as its family. The church is built on the bedrock of the inerrant, infallible word of God. Throughout church history, there have been times when the church has been beaten and battered and scarred, but it is still the church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. As we meet today, we are in the very center of God's plan for this age. I want you to know that because you are part of the New Testament church, the New Testament local church. You are at the very heartbeat of what God is doing in this present age. And we are joined with believers from every race and tongue and nation who worship Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So let us pray for our church. Let us pray for one another and let us pray for our leaders. So let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to be a faithful people who have an unwavering confidence in the word of God. Help our leaders to be gentle shepherds, firm in their standing on the word of God,
firm in their standing on the gospel, but gentle and tender with the sheep as they lead them by example. Help us, O God, as only you can. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.